Hello there and welcome along to the latest edition of the Horse Racing From Home podcast. I'm Nick Seddon and as always this podcast is brought to you by horseracing.net and this week's episode we'll be taking a look at a stellar weekend of racing that is of course headlined by the Epsom Derby and Oaks and uh, I'm delighted to say that this week's episode is brought to you by our partners at Betfred. Now they have a range of offers Betfred coming into the meeting and new customers looking for a bet on this weekend's racing are able to sign up to Betfred and receive £30 in free bets when you stake £10 or more. Uh, there are some terms and conditions. Customers must be 18 plus in the UK and Northern Ireland only. The first best mu- bet must be placed on sports in one £10 or more transaction. That will be settled within 60 days. The odds must be evens or more and the £30 free bet will be credited within 10 hours of the bet settlement with a seven-day expiry. Payment restrictions apply and SMS validation will be required. Full T and C's apply over on the website. Now, over to the racing and I'm going to be joined on the line, as always, by our resident tipster, Chris Baker. Chris, hello there. How are things? You must be in a good mood after a, uh, a win for your beloved in the early kickoff. Yeah, Darby, it's all coming good at the right time. We've got Wayne Rooney on fire. We've, we've, you know, we've picked up more points than any team in the championship since he's made his debut in January. So, yeah, it's looking really good for the Rams. And before we get into chatting about Epsom, um, the last time you were on the podcast was, of course, Royal Ascot. Uh, a really interesting week of racing. Is there a highlight for you? Do you have a highlight from the week? Um, Stradivarius, you know, he was electric, wasn't he? Yeah, I think at this point it's fair to say that the decision to oppose Batash and Stradivarius was probably not not the best, but um, we we took them on at the prices. Um, Stradivarius was was immense. Um, I thought Lord North um, was was a fantastic victory for him. Um, we'll be mentioning him later in the program, and the Learjet, who I mentioned as well for for Oshie Murphy, was was very impressive. Oshie was absolutely delighted with that victory. And, uh, he looks a smart prospect going forward. And I suppose a really interesting thing in, in terms of Epsom's concerned is a bit of switch of roles as well, um, because traditionally Royal Ascot is held after Epsom, but because of the whole schedule this year, it was before, and races that were normally consolation races were, were trials, and we're going to have this strange situation after Epsom that we're going to have the Dante as, as the consolation race. It's really intriguing, isn't it? Absolutely. I'd say we a lot of the Royal Ascot races have, have turned out to be key trials for, for the Derby and the Oaks that we're going to talk about today. So yeah, complete switch of roles really. Yeah. And we will get into the Epsom Derby now at the time of recording. It's um, it's Wednesday evening. So there are 17 runners in this year's Epsom Derby as it stands. An awful lot of those are from the Aidan O'Brien team. And with a really interesting favourite here, Chris, in English King, he's nine to four and I suppose the big story around him is the fact that uh, his partner for his past two starts, Tom Marquand, won't be getting the ride. Frankie de Tori takes over. Was that the right decision? Well, that, uh, yeah, I was going to start in exactly the same place, Nick, because you and I have both been lucky enough to speak to Tom this mm-hmm. year. Um, he's an incredible amb- ambassador for the sport. And I was gutted for him when, when it broke that he'd lost the ride. Um, I was listening to an interview with Bjorn Nielsen last night and, and he was explaining the decision that himself and Ed Walker had been through. And you can kind of see it from, from both sides. You know, Tom, Tom's done fantastically well aboard the horse at, at Newcastle and Lingfield. He's having a fantastic year and, and he's an incredible 
you know, like I said, an ambassador for the sport, a brilliant jockey in his own right, but they've gone with Frankie de Tori and you can, you can completely understand why he's won the Derby twice. He's got a vast experience of, of going around Epsom and, you know, the hustle and bustle of the race, it, they've gone with experience. So, I, you know, I do feel sorry for Tom. Um, what I will say is that the way that he handled himself during that was absolutely stunning. You know, many, many professional sports stars would have spat the dummy out at such a decision, but he'd be quite the opposite. He, he came and did several interviews where where he just came across brilliantly in, in a fantastic ambassador for the sport and, and also, um, you know, a tremendous role model. You know, I, I'm, I'm obviously a teacher, we had O'Shea Murphy in school. Tom's agreed that when this is all over, he'll come in as well. And I think for the, for the children to, to see that and to see how they how he handles disappointment, I think it's, it sets a fine example to everyone. Yeah, a really well-rounded individual, isn't he? For just 22, it's really, really easy to forget that. And um, I suppose, though, if you are an owner in the Derby or in any Group 1 race, Frankie de Tori probably is the man for the big occasion, isn't he? I mean, he, he, he doesn't ride as much as he used to and he really does just pull it out on the big occasions. He, he does and you've just got to look at his performances at, at Royal Ascot to, to see that and all the group ones he's won over the last couple of years since joining up with John Gosden again. Um, well, like I say, you can see it from both, both points of view. Gutter for Tom, he'll get his chance and he's obviously got to ride in the derby anyway, which we'll talk about. Um, but completely understand the, the owner of trainer's decision to put Frankie on board. So, yeah, English King. Um, right, son of Camelot, won the Derby in 2012. Um, the dam was only a low-grade handicapper, and although she's produced Group 3 enlisted winners, it would appear he's, he's got most visibility from, from the sire. Um, visually impressive at Newcastle, visually impressive at Lingfield. And I've spent the last couple of days trying to look at where we can pick fault in what he's done so far. And, and it, it's really tricky. Um, it, it's, it's hard not to be impressed with what he's done so far. You know, Ned Walker's very clear about the fact that he relaxes well, he saves energy for the finish. You know, the trainer speaks very highly of him. And he's one of the horses that had one of the early entries in the race. So although that's often very speculative, it shows that he's always been considered a Derby horse. So the, where it's really come down to, to, for me, is the form of his two victories. And so if you look at the win at Newcastle, yes, the second and third have both won since, but they've been in ordinary maidens. The fourth hasn't run. The fifth took three attempts to win a Class 5 handicap, and the sixth was beaten 16 lengths in a Class 5 handicap. So you, you could argue that whilst he was very impressive, what has he beat? And then you go to Lingfield. Now, first of all, the thing to say about this Lingfield trial is that that will have um, given him really good experience because obviously Lingfield in, in several ways is similar to Epsom. It's got the undulating nature of the track, the camber, and then the sharp downhill turn into the home straight. So that experience of a course like that will stand him in good stead. And he did handle it with ease. However, again, if you look at the form, you could say, well, yes, he won, and yes, he won impressively, but four of the seven runners that he, he ran against were rated less than 100. The second, Berkshire Rocco, um, who he finished just uh, 2.75 lengths um, uh, in front of. Now, he's finished second 
to the subsequent Irish derby winner Santiago in the Queen's Vase. But that's about it. If you go beyond that, the third came last in an Ascot handicap. The fourth came fifth out of six at Ascot. The fifth came 12th out of 17 in a, in a handicap. The seventh came last in a group three at Ascot. And the last home in the Lingfield Derby trial couldn't win a class four red car handicap next time out. So again, a bit like the Newcastle win, you could say visually very impressive. Um, but he was entitled to win and he was entitled to win well with only Berkshire Rocco showing um, any sort of form since. I think I know the answer to this question, but is nine to four then a little bit short? Do you think that price is influenced by the fact that last year's Lingfield trial winner, Anthony Van Dyke, went on to win the derby and also the Frankie factor as well? Definitely. And I'll be opposing English King now. Now, we said this during the Royal Ascot preview. I wouldn't be surprised if English King won. Um, it's it's very easy to watch those, particularly the, the Lingfield performance, and say, yeah, Derby favourite, especially, of course, as, as the Lingfield race was over the mile and a half, and you've got several of the other contenders that are, are going to be stepping up and trip and having to prove the stamina. So it's very easy to see why he's favourite. But when you, when you look at those sort of question marks over the form of his wins and uh, combine that with the price, I think you also mentioned the, the Derby trial at Lingfield. That was established in 1932. There's only been nine Derby winners in that time. Of course, it was a fantastic year for Lingfield last year because the uh, Anthony Van Dyke won the, the trial, as you said, but also the Oaks trial was won by the subsequent Oaks winner. So, um, But prior to Anthony Van Dyke, you've got to go back to 1998 before a horse won, won the Lingfield trial and went on to Epsom success. So I think there are plenty of reasons to oppose him at that price. We talked about the Lingfield trout. Um, the second favourite is Cameco. Now, if you listen to traditionalists, they will say that the best trout for the Derby is the 2000 Guineas. And, you know, Cameco, there's a lot to recommend him. He has arguably the strongest form in the way, race. He's a dual group one winner. Uh, he's got Oshie Murphy on board, powerful connections. How do you weigh up his chances in here? Well, there are strong, strong arguments um, for Cameco being the favourite. You know, he's a dual group one winner. He won the Virtue and Futurity at Newcastle on the Old Weather, the Group 1, the Old Racing Post Trophy. And then, of course, he won the 2000 Guineas. Now, on official ratings, he's seven clear of English King, 119 against 112. And on Racing Post ratings, he's eight clear of English King. So English King has got to either improve quite a bit or Kamiko has got to underperform. Of course, the big question mark with Kamiko is going to be the distance in the trip. I think in previous years, in normal years, we would have seen Kamiko and the Dante. Mm -hmm. And that would have said a lot about the, the one mile four because he's going straight from the mile of the Guinness to the one mile four of Epsom without that run in between over the intermediate trip that the Dante would have provided. Now, you, you can really, this can go both ways with how you look at Kamiko's uh, chances of getting the mile and a half because the dam was a miler but Kitten's Joy has produced several winners over the, over the distance um, including Roaring Lion of course for the same connections who was, was third in the derby beaten just two lengths by Massar and you couldn't say that Roaring Lion didn't stay the mile and a half it was, only, it was his only race over the trip 
but he saw it out absolutely fine. He, he was just done by a stronger stayer on the day. You cannot say he didn't stay it. And when you look at um, horses like Hawkbill as well, by Kitten's Joy, he was a group one winner over 10 to 12 furlongs. My opinion on Kamako is, is very much like Roaring Lion. I think he will stay, but I think he's vulnerable to, to a stronger stayer on the day. But purely on form, Kamako is, is the one to beat. I'd say he's a dual group one winner. And what we know about him is he will have that tactical speed mid-race. And that, you know, that he'll, he, I envisage him traveling like a dream for Oshin. You know, I think, I think he'll, he'll tuck in just behind the leaders. He'll, he'll travel smoothly into contention. And I think approaching the furlong, we will see Kamako holding every chance. It's just whether there is a stronger stayer over a mile and a half in, in the field. Do you think Kamako's appearance here is a little bit more of consequence of the, of the scenario we're in rather than planning to the letter? Because I thought it was really interesting listening to Qatar Racing after and they were weighing up whether to put him in the derby. You know, we've had, as you say, no Dante. The Eclipse is closed to three-year-olds this year. You wonder where, I mean, because my instinct is he's a mile and a quarter horse, you wonder where he would have gone really if he hadn't gone to the derby. Would they have just had to wait to the Sussex? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I think he's, he's a 10 furlong course and they've, their hand has been forced. They, they've got, they've had to go for the derby because of how impressive he was in the Guinness. And you, you can't say he was stopping in the Guinness. He hit the line strong. He, he passed Pinatubo and Wichita inside the furlong. He, he hit the line strong. They've had no choice but to go for the derby. I think in a normal season, like, like I said earlier, he would have gone Dante. And his, his number one target may have been the Eclipse. Um, I think the Jubmont will come into contention back over back over 10 furlongs. And, and then, of course, the champion stakes. I think they might have gone down that route instead of the, the Sussex. But, of course, he, he could have done Sussex and Jubmont. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just very different this year. The, the hand has been forced, but he's, he's a fascinating contender. And I think that the, there are strong arguments for him being the favourite. Now, Aidan O'Brien has a battalion of runners um, in this race. One of them is Mogul, whose form is directly linked to Kamako. He chased him home in the Futurity Trophy. Uh, the thing about him is, you know, he was disappointing at Royal Ascot last time out, but he's still relatively short in the betting. He's 13-2. to two. That sort of suggests that people think he's definitely capable of more. Absolutely. Now, this is, like you've just mentioned, the first Aidan O'Brien runner that we're going to talk about tonight. I think it's worth mentioning at this point the, the stats that last year with Anthony van Dijk, that was Aidan's seventh derby winner and he's fifth in the last eight runnings. Now, that seventh win put him level with Fred Darling, who registered his seventh winner back in 1941. So a win this year for Aidan O'Brien will put him clear in the list of all-time derby winning trainers. And yeah, he's got several key contenders. Mogul, I'm surprised he's as short as he is. But I think that's still to do with the fact that he cost 3.4 million guineas um, that he's a full brother to Japan. And I think connection is, is clearly shown connection something. But he's also group two winning two-year-old. So he, he's got that form in the book. But I'm being influenced by his last two runs. And there were no, you know, he didn't really get too close to Kamako at Newcastle. And he was really disappointing, I thought, behind Piledriver at Ascot. And he was odds on that day. So 
I, I can, you know, you look at the breathing, you look at the connections, and that's why he's in, the, sort of toward, towards the head of the the market. But I think he's he's very very opposable, and I, I can't really make a strong case for him. What will be really interesting here is who Ryan Moore chooses to ride, mm. because the Irish jockeys aren't going to come over, and whoever Ryan Moore rides will shorten up a couple of points on the day, I'm sure. I don't think he'll choose Mogul, and we'll come on to that um, later on. But what's really interesting is who Aidan will go to, and just a couple that I'd love to see get a ride for Aidan O'Brien, Holly Doyle. You know, we mentioned Tom Marquand earlier, but Aidan, he's, he's got a bit of a history of giving chances to young up-and-coming jockeys. I think Holly Doyle, has got to have an outside chance of getting a ride for Aiden, and also wouldn't it wouldn't it be fantastic to see Kieran Fallon Junior's name next to one of the O'Brien horses, O'Brien and Fallon in the Derby? And again, there's got to be an outside chance of that happening. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be who Ryan Moore chooses will clearly be the key contender, the number one first pick for Aiden O'Brien. But I. I'm finding it hard to make a case for Mogul. Well, we talked about Mogul. We'll talk about his conqueror over at Royal Ascot in the King Edward. That was Powell Driver. Now, he's building up a bit of a habit of defying expectations, but you talked about history in the derby, Chris, and he does have the services of a derby-winning jockey in Martin Dwyer. He does. Martin Dwyer won the derby in 2006 aboard Sir Percy, and that was subsequently voted the flat ride of the year. So... Yeah, Martin Dwyer for his father-in-law. So, you know, there's been plenty of jokes flying around about what, you know, Christmas presents, if he messes up and all that sort of stuff. But Power Driver in, in a normal year, I think it's fair to say he wouldn't be in the Derby picture. Um, he's only cost 10000 as a foal. Um, he's, he's really found himself here because of what we talked about earlier, and that's the fact that Royal Ascot has come before the Derby. Um I think he's going to be out of his depth. I think the King Edward victory at Royal Ascot, we've we've said that Mogul was below par. Um, Mohican Heights was given way too much to do and then stayed on strongly. Um, Arthur's Kingdom, who was second, was thrashed in the Irish Derby. So really, he's got one one good piece of form. So if you look back, he's been well beaten in two of his six starts and he, he couldn't win a group three as well in, in that time. So... I think connections have got to take the chance because he was a Royal Ascot winner in one of the key trials, but I think he's going to be out of his depth. Another horse coming into this with Royal Ascot form is Highland Chief. Now, this will be the most unorthodox of Derby routes because he won the the Golden Gates handicap of Ranu Race. We'll probably only ever see it once at the Royal Meeting. He represents a smaller connections in Paul and Oliver Cole, but he has a brilliant jockey on board. He's got Ben Curtis, who's having another fine season on board him. How do you rate his chances at about 12 to 1? Yeah, we've mentioned already then, haven't we, some of our favourites. We've got Oshin Murphy, we're both big fans of. We've got Tom Marquand, who we're both big fans of. We've mentioned Holly Doyle. Here's another guy, Ben Curtis. Mm. He's he's the all-weather champion jockey, and I'm absolutely thrilled to see that he's got a ride in the derby. I think you mentioned unorthodox um, in, in terms of winning the Golden Gates handicap, but even more unorthodox is that this horse won on debut over five furlongs. Mm. And at the time the, the trainer said he is not a, you know, he's not a sprinter. 
but the, the fact that he won on debut he, he, over, over that sort of trip shows his class. He, he was then third in the Chesham to Pinatubo, and he was well beaten in the Royal Lodge. So that was a, a bounce back to form. And to take his chance in this, he, he did have to win that handicap in, in the style that he won it, although he did come from quite a way back. He was 20 to 1, so he wasn't, wasn't really fancied that day. Um, and it, of course, it was over 10 furlongs. So in the space of sort of a year, he was going from five furlongs to a mile and a half in a classic. Um, and, you know, the, there's, there's plenty of reasons to oppose him. H- having said that, his dam was a group three winner over um, 10 to 12 furlong so there's some hope in the pedigree that the step up in trip could bring about some more improvement but I think for me he's too short uh, we've got plenty of Aidan O'Brien runners to talk about another one is Vatican City well supported 15 to 2 and one of these O'Brien runners that sort of comes into the new year with a bit of a mysterious profile races a couple of times wins a maiden but I ran a screamer last time out in the Irish Guineas is staying on second behind Shishkin yeah, I think if we tackle Vatican City and Armoury together, because they both ran in the 2000 Guineas, and at one point they they were sort of stride for stride with with Siskin, but couldn't match his turn of foot. And whilst you know, although he was stuck in traffic, once he got out, he obviously won won the race quite easily. These two did stay on to take um, Vatican City took second, and Armoury took fourth. Now. Armoury is a, a group two and group three winning two-year-old over seven furlongs. And the, the question mark for me with both of these is the trip because for Vatican City, his dam was a sprinter. And he's actually a brother to Glen Eagles, who was a dual Guinness winner over a mile, obviously. Uh, Marvellous, who won the Irish Guinness over a mile. And Happily, who was a group one miler. So there's very little in Vatican City's pedigree that would scream to me that he wants a mile and a half. Having said that, that he did stay on well at the end of the Irish Guineas, as was always said. So Armoury, very similar. His dam was a sprinter as well. And although he stayed on well at the end of the Guineas, both of those have big question marks over their pedigree as to whether they are going to step up and handle the mile and a half. But like you said it would be no surprise to see one of these Aidan O'Brien horses that have ran well in one of the trials show big improvement for the step up in trip, especially as they're both by Galileo. Yeah, another Aidan O'Brien one as well is is Serpentine. Now, every so often, derby winners can come out of nowhere, um, don't always have to run in a trial to win the derby. And this call is fascinating because... He, he won a maiden really, really well last time. He's bred to be smart, but it's one heck of a step up to win a maiden at the Curra to then over a mile and quarter to then lining up in the Epsom Derby a week later. Yeah, absolutely. And Serpentine was was well beaten in his first two starts, one at the end of last year, and, and um, you know when racing resumed. You mentioned his maiden win; it was by nine lengths, nine lengths. And like we said earlier with English King, it was visually impressive. But is there any substance behind it now? You, you mentioned that he's he's bred for this. You're absolutely right because the dam was second in an Oaks and he's obviously by Galileo. After the maiden win, Aidan O'Brien mentioned the Great Voltager and the St Ledger as possibles. So this, this would almost be a trial for his key end-of-season targets. Um, 
I suspect that he will run. I suspect he'll go off at quite a big price. And I suspect he won't be disgraced, but he'll be keeping on um, nice and steadily at the end. And, you know, maybe, maybe snatch fifth, something like that. Two more lively outsiders are very much linked, and that's uh, Khalifa Sat and Emissary. They were both running last seen in the uh, Cocked Hat Stakes listed contest at Goodwood uh, last month. Um, both look smart. Colts both have tremendous bookings, as we've already alluded to. Khalifa Sat with Tom Marquand and Emissary with, with Jim Crowley. Yeah, Khalifa Sat, Tom Marquand, his first ride in the Derby. He, we've, we've already mentioned at length how disappointed he would have been to lose the ride in the English King. But he's picked up a horse that won one of the Derby trials, and that was at Goodwood. It was over one mile and three furlongs, so he's you know he's proven up to um, towards the one mile four. He was really game at the finish. He was, although he was all out to win that day, he showed a really good attitude um, and, and gave plenty that day. Um, the, also, the other advantage we mentioned English King at Lingfield, but Khalifa Sats victory was at Goodwood and that also is a, is a tricky track and he showed that he handles that he's shown that he's got stamina he's shown that he's got a really good attitude and of course he's got Tom Work on on board so Khalifa Sat would be a lively outsider I can't see him doing anything better than a place but he's a lively outsider at the prices but the other one that ties in with that is a mystery and I do think he is too big and the reason for that is that he's half-brother to Workforce, who obviously won the Derby and the Ark. And he's had a, almost an identical profile to that horse. Now, in terms of trends, look at the last 12 winners of the Derby. All but two of them had already won at group level. Now, Workforce was one that hadn't. He, of course, finished second in the Dante, but he hadn't won at group level prior to his demolition job in the Derby when he broke the track record. Um, so Emissary comes in with an almost identical profile in that he won on debut. He's come second in his next race. He's not won a group race. He's bred for it. And at, at Goodwood, he was, he was fancied to beat Khalifa Sats. He loomed up um, and he looked like gonna, he was gonna be the winner, but he couldn't quite get by. I think that the extra furlong will suit him more than it will Khalifa Sat, and I, I think he will ret- uh, reverse the form with that rival, and I think he will outrun his price. Now, eagle-eyed listeners will have noticed that there's one market principle we haven't mentioned yet, um, is an Aidan O'Brien runner, uh, and that's because we're both very sweet on him. Um, uh, he was a very impressive winner of the Hampton Court Stakes, that's Russian Emperor Chris, um, looks to have a brilliant chance at Epsom. He does, so first of all, if we look at his pedigree, He's by Galileo, who won the Derby in 2001 and is an absolutely sensational sire. Um, His dam was a champion in Australia. Now, she won 10 out of 11 races in Australia, up to uh, 10 furlongs, including several Group 1s. So he is beautifully bred. Now, we've mentioned some of the Derby trials already. One that I always take particular note of is the Derringstown Derby trial at Leopardstown. And the reason for that is that back in 2000, Sindar won it and went on to win the Derby. In 2001, Galileo won this trial, went on to win the Derby. In 2002, High Chaparral won this trial, went on to win the Derby. 
it's in subsequent years, it's been won by the likes of Yates, who won four Gold Cups, Dylan Thomas, who was third in the Derby, then won the Irish Derby and subsequently the Ark. And it's also been won by Fame and Glory, who was second to see the Stars in the Derby, then won the Irish Derby and the Gold Cup. So for those reasons, I always look really closely at the winner of this trial and the horses that ran in this trial. Now, Russian Emperor did not win that day, but he was sent off as the favourite and he ran on really well from off the pace, suggesting that the step up to a mile and four would suit, certainly in his pedigree. I think if you just go back a run to his maiden, which incidentally was in March prior to lockdown, so he's, he's won his maiden this year rather than winning his maiden as a two-year-old. Um, he, I don't know if you saw that race, Nick, but he was well held. He, he looked, um, you know, he looked beaten. And then he came from nowhere and stayed on really, really strongly inside the final furlong. You think he passed five or six horses inside the final furlong. So you've got his maiden victory, which suggested that the step-up and trip would, would, he would relish. You've got the... Derenstown Derby trial, second, which would suggest that he'd relish the step up in trip. And then on top of that, he's coming into the race as a Royal Ascot winner. And as you mentioned, he won the Group 3 Hampton Court stakes. And he won it again in the manner that would suggest he's going to be suited by the step up to a mile and a half. A mile and a half. So I think he's, he's bred for the Derby. He's got the form in the book. He's going to relish the conditions. He's representing Aidan O'Brien, and I've got a feeling this will be the horse that Ryan Moore chooses. Uh, do you have a? I'm putting you on the spot here a bit, Chris. But if I had to go for a one, to ask you for a one, two, three, where would you go? I would go Russian Emperor. Mm-hmm. I would go Camelco. I would go English King, and I'd add in a Missouri to finish fourth. Should be a really good renewal of the Epsom Derby. And before we talk about the Oaks, um, another reminder that we are sponsored by Betfred in this week's episode. Make sure you check out Fred's Pushes this Saturday at 10.30 to see whose price they've boosted for the Epsom Derby. Um, Fred's Pushes are available for a limited time only. Max stakes apply and general Betfred rules apply as well. Now, Nick, Chris, sorry, before we go on to the Oaks, can, I just, can we just talk about the draw? Because yeah, yeah. the draw is something that's often overlooked. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that in a mile and a half race, the draw would be so important. But I've, I've been looking back at some of the statistics over the past, well, I've, I've gone with the last 12 run-ins, but you could go further back and get a similar result. And whilst the draw isn't known yet, you know, we don't know where these horses are going to be coming from on Saturday. I think it is something that punters need to be aware of because it's, you know, if you analyse the stall position of the Derby winners over the last 12 years mm-hmm. and you do some maths on it, you look at the mean, the mode and the median stall position. Number eight comes out for all three of those. And if you look more broadly at low draw, middle draw, high draw, 10 of the last 12 winners have come from a medium or a high draw, a middle or a high draw. And I don't think that's any surprise because if you look at the course layout at Epsom, soon after the start, you've got that right-hand dog leg before they start turning left and then keep going left um, from then on. So I suppose if you're on either extreme of that, you, you're going to either struggle to get a good position for the immediate right turn 
or then struggle to get a position for the left. So I think being drawn in the middle has quite an advantage. Moving on now to the Epsom Oaks, Chris, and uh, another fascinating renewal here. Lots of Aidan O'Brien runners, as you probably, as we've come to expect, really, in these classics. And he does have the favourite, uh, Love. She's even money at the time of recording. She was really impressive in the Thousand Guineas. So the question is, really, is she the right favourite? Yeah, she, she is the right favourite. And if we look at um, Aidan O'Brien, John Gosden, now, between them, they've won the last six renewals of the Oaks and they've won seven of the last eight. So they are the obvious starting points when, you, when you're looking through this field. And Love, she's, she's actually got plenty of experience. This, this is going to be a ninth start. So she's not coming into this as a likely race three-year-old that you'd normally expect to, to come into the Oaks. She, she's going to be making a ninth start. Now, she was a group one winning two-year-old, just like Kamako. Um, that was in the seven furlong Moyglare. And she finished third in the Phillies mile. So, you know, those horses that are running over a mile uh, as a two-year-old, you, there's no surprise to see them and step up in trip, especially as she's by Galileo. And she was really impressive in the Thousand Guineas. The, the further she went, the better she looked. Um, Minding in 2016 was the last horse to go on from the Guineas to win the Oaks. Of course, she represents the, the same connections. And, and Love is related to several winners over 10 furlongs, up to, up to a mile and six. So certainly there's, there's going to be no issue with the trip. There's no issue with her clash as a dual group one winner. She's bred for it. She's got top connections. Ryan Moore is almost certain to ride love, especially as Peaceful, um, who won the Irish 1,000 guineas, is reportedly going to head to France on Sunday in search of better prize money. So love is a very, very worthy favourite. But just one um, pointer there with favourites, only one of the last 10 have won the Oaks. So it's, it's very easy to fancy love, but just be aware that in that time, in the last 10 years, there's been a 50 to 1 winner and there's been three 20 to one winners. So it's, you know, there's nothing certain, is there? Yeah, really interesting stat there, Chris. And there is a very strong second favourite this year called Frankie Darling. Now, she was a really impressive winner of the Ribblesdale last time out. She, she wears popular silks, um, the same as Golden Horn of Anthony Oppenheimer. She's trained by John Gosden. She's got Frankie de Tory book to ride. She's got a lot going for her. She certainly has. And... Um, we mentioned Lingfield, she won the, uh, sorry, uh, in terms of Annapurna last year, she won the Lingfield Oaks trial for, for John Gosden, Frankie Dettori. She was also by Frankel out of a, a 10 to 12 furlong mare. So, frankly, Darling has a lot of similarities with last year's winner, Annapurna, especially, obviously, for the same connections. Now, frankly, Darling was um, for the second in a maiden um, on heavy ground last season, but then won really impressively on a, a seasonal reappearance at Newcastle. And what was really good about that was that she was three wide, um, she was green, um, but despite that, she still pulled five lengths clear at the line over 10 furlongs. She then went on to Ascot. I opposed her that day because I, I thought that the uh, Lingfield trial winner would be too strong. But frankly, Darling was, was really impressive in the Ribblesdale at Ascot, over a mile and a half, 
proving that she can handle the step up to the trip. Again, she was strong at the finish. And I think there was, there was this concern, wasn't there, a while ago about Frankel and whether um, with him being a, a top-class miler to, to 10 furlongs, can he produce these winners? But he's produced the, uh, he produced the Oaks winner last year and the St. Ledger winner. So there's, there's, gonna, there's absolutely no issue with the breeding. And in terms of Frankie Vittori, bookmakers could be in for a, a bit of a sting this, this weekend because they've got Frankie Vittori on the Derby favourite, Frankie Dettori on the second favourite for the Oaks and Frankie Dettori on an Able in the Eclipse. And there's going to be a lot of people on, on that trip. So yeah. I think Frankie Darling was, was really impressive. She, she showed at Ascot um, and at Newcastle, actually, that she's got that fine balance of both speed and stamina. And it's quite rare to get that in a racehorse. My one question mark over her is the track because... Her three runs so far have been at Yarmouth, Newcastle and Ascot. And they're all very different types of track to, to Epsom. Yeah, interesting you say that because very um, quite short in the market is the, the filly that was second behind, frankly, Darling and Istimon. She's 11 to 2. Do you think there's possibly a feeling that she could overturn the form here? And I'll band her in as well with, with Passion, who's 20 to 1. She, she was third at Royal Ascot as well. Yeah, and Istimon ran well. Um, but you know, never really looked like getting any closer to Franklin Darling. I think the reason that that she's the, the price that she is is the Aidan O'Brien factor, and um, I, I can't see her reversing form with Franklin Darling. I think Franklin Darling was really impressive and still looks like she's open to plenty of improvement, especially as she's she's completely proven over the trip. So Anistimon should run well. Um, will be Aidan O'Brien's second string. Um, I think James Doyle will, will probably ride again for O'Brien. He was on board at Ascot. Um, Passion costs plenty of money. Um, she was 800,000 guineas, and she's a sister to Capri, who won the Irish Derby in the St. Ledger. But overall now, the profile is one win from five starts, and she was well held third in the Ribblesdale. So I can't see Anistimon or Passion. I can't see either of those reversing form with frankly darling and i i can see I, I'm, I'm finding it really difficult to look past frankly darling and love i think they, they really do stand out at the head of the market i think that the bookies have got this one spot on one outside i will quickly ask you about is is gold one because she does have an interesting profile here in that she's stepping up here from a maiden success it was at newbury last month um it was impressive She's bred to be smart. She's by a Derby winner in Golden Horn. Has she got any sort of a chance at fourteen to one? Like I say, she, she's unlucky not to be coming in this uh, unbeaten because she was only beaten by a neck on debut, and then was a comfortable ten furlong maiden winner um, last time. Man, like you say, she she finished really strongly. This is a big step up in class, but um, you know she's trained by Roger Varian, so. Um, I'd say the, her, her double-figure price is, is about right, but it'll be interesting to see how she does go because she is open to plenty of improvement. Um, I think one, one that I'd like to mention um, to, to finish us off on this, uh, it's a much bigger price, one that I think could outrun her odds, I'm not saying she'll win, but I think she, she could go well, is uh, Queen Deneris. Now, Queen Deneris is another Franco filly, and... She finished sixth in the Phillies mile at the end of last season. So she's you know, clearly thought 
good enough to to run in that group one she's another roger varian trained filly and then in her seasonal reappearance she finished second in a listed race at newmarket and that day she was outpaced uh, to keep part of the race but then she kept on quite strongly and i think um the winner that day you know run wild was was really impressive that day subsequently well beaten at ascot but i just like the fact you know I'm, I'm always looking for horses that are outpaced and then keep on because it's a it's a key sign that they're going to be suited by the step up in trip so i think the fact that she's you know she's she's by franco and she she's had a run she she ran well she's clearly going to relish this step up in trip she cost half a million dollars as a yearling so you know the, the, the pedigrees there i think queen denner is cut out on the rods yeah, Queen Daenerys. She's uh, a fancy price, twenty-five to one at the time of recording. Could be a, an interesting outsider in what will be a really, really good race, uh, the Epsom Oaks. And the racing doesn't stop there because Sunday's feature is going to be a corker as well, Chris. It's the the Coral Eclipse at Sandown, the Group One. Um, and as we've already alluded to, the star name here is Enable. Um, rather than go into too much depth about the race, I thought we'd start off just talking about her because. She's fascinating. She's coming back here. The, the sole aim with her is, is to win this third arc. She was so close to doing it last year. Um, how much of an ask is it for her to, to do that, do you think? It's massive, Nick. Um, I, I think, I'm going purely on stats. Obviously, Enable is, is an absolutely tremendous filly. And it's going to be all roads lead to the arc. And, and yeah, I hope she wins the uh, third arc because she, she really is a superstar of the sport. But She's shown that she's beatable. You know, she, she was second in the arc last year. Soft ground was to blame that day. And she, she's had a few setbacks over the last couple of years. And I've, I've read today that, that John Gosden has reported she's, she's very likely to be in need of this run on Sunday. So I think if she is, she's, she's potentially vulnerable on Sunday. I, I, I think going back to that arc campaign, enables obviously six. She won the arc as a three-year-old and a four-year-old. And since 1988, all of the ARC winners have been aged three or four, apart from two. And you've got to go back to 1932 to find an ARC winner that was aged, well, the ARC winner in 1932 was aged seven. Since then, there's been no ARC winner older than five. So on stats, Enable has got it all to do as a six-year-old. Having said that, she's pure class. And she's going to be trained with that race in mind. I think that she's quite vulnerable on Sunday. 1932, the year of the late, great Wigan Athletic. Um, <laughs> but to, to touch on Enable a bit more, Chris, you know, it was a it was a much-praised decision, a surprising decision as far as I was concerned, that they've kept her in training as a, as a six-year-old. Um, do you think if she does run particularly badly let's say you know she she just runs a miss do you think there is a danger we might not even see her make it all the way to Longchamp because she's worth so much as a broodmare that they will just retire her out of you know admiration for her yeah and I really hope that doesn't happen but I think if if she puts you know if she comes second a credit respectable second or third in this race then I think connections especially having read the, the comments of John Gosden today I think connections will look at that and they say it's a really pleasing comeback run you know, we'll we'll have another run, and and then it'll be it'll be off to the arc. If 
you know the chances are that if she runs well down the field the chances are that something's missed and I think if there's any injury at all even if it's something that, that they can sort out I, I don't think they'll take any risks at all because she's she's going to be incredibly valuable yeah and uh, yeah, I tell you what it's a, it's a hot race as well we won't go through every single runners but I'll mention the supporting cast first it includes Magic Wand the the Japanese mayor Deirdre that great to see Oshi Murphy back on board and some of the more shorter price protagonists include the second favourite Gaeth, who goodness me was impressive in the Coronation Cup at Newmarket wasn't he? He was really really impressive and that took his record to seven wins from 10 starts and I'm a big fan of a front runner and the, he was very exuberant, he went off in front, he never looked like being caught and of course you've got last year's Derby winner Anthony Van Dyke and the subsequent Gold Cup winner uh, Stradivarius in behind him. Now I know Stradivarius was running over the wrong trip that day but he's still a, a, a brilliant horse and Gaia demolished that field and he broke the track record and I think what what's concerning about Gaia and again here, here comes another stat is that his last five career wins have all been after a break of over 100 days or more mm. so that's his last five wins and this is coming just 30 days after his last start. So I'm not saying he, he, he can't run um, after, after just a short period of time, but five consecutive wins all after a long layoff would suggest that Connections think he, he does need that time between his races. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure how he's going to go in this. How do you feel about... Um, some of the foreign form, you know, because Gareth is a is a real globe trotter. He, he won a, a Grade Three, a Group Three at, at Maidan back in February. He won a Baden Baden Group One in Germany by fourteen lengths. You know, I I don't think I'm the only one. Sometimes I look at some of these European Group Ones and wonder whether they are quite as strong as some of the the big Group Ones over here. No, especially some of the German Group Ones. I think they'd probably be more like a, a Group Two or a Group Three in this country. So I think, he, yeah, he was clearly impressive in Germany and he was clearly impressive in, in Maidan. I just think you, you can't take that literally. You, you've got to look at what he does in this country against the opposition that he's going to face. And, you know, on the face of it, he's, he's done that brilliantly in the Coronation Cup. But there is that question mark about the quick turnaround. Another runner in the field is um, a horse, a colt, who's quickly becoming one of the stories of the season, uh, Lord North. Um, Won last year's Cambridgeshire, of course. He's done nothing but progress since and won the Prince of Wales last time at Royal Ascot. He did. Um, really comfortable winner of the Cambridgeshire. And when, when a horse wins a handicap like that in the manner that he did, you know it's, it's a really good horse. Uh, the Brigadier Gerard, he won that. He'd be telecom that day. Um, and he was really good in the Prince of Wales. I, I said earlier, that was my highlight, highlight of the Ascot week. He beat Adair, Barney Roy, Japan. Um, the, the word coming out of the John Gosling yard is that he won't run on Sunday. Um, you know, John doesn't very often put his stars up against each other. And they've, they've mentioned that the Judmont next month at York will be his likely target. So it'll be fantastic if he does take his chance. And of course, at this stage, he's, st- he's still in the race. But um, the, the word is that he, he won't run. Another runner to consider is Japan. He was behind Lord North, but slightly disappointing, you could say, actually, in the Prince of Wales. But 
I don't think personally he's one you can write off. He was brilliant last year, won the international stakes as a three-year-old and, you know, ran a really good race. It was only four lengths behind Waldgeist and Enable in the, uh, the Triumph as well. Do you think he'll come on for that run at Ascot? Yeah, definitely. And I mentioned in our Royal Ascot preview that I thought he would need the run that day in the Prince of Wales stakes because in his previous two seasons, he, he needed that first run. He won second time out and then third time out in his last two seasons. So he's sure to have come on for that run at Ascot. He kind of went under the radar for me last season and until he got that third in the derby. Obviously went on to win King Edward, Grand Prix Paris and, and the Judmont and was, like you said, a, a fourth in the arc. So I think you can, um, you can put a line through his run last time out because he's sure to have improved. And I think Japan is going to be the biggest challenger to enable in this race. Going to be a brilliant weekend of racing, Chris. As a, as a closing note, have you got a best bet at this sort of stage? It's probably going to come from the three races we've talked about or, or anything you'd like to add? I'm, I'm really keen on Russian Emperor for the, for the reasons I've mentioned earlier. But you know, if, if he gets a decent draw, sort of mid to high draw, and especially if Ryan Moore picks him, I think he, not only will he shorten up, but I, I think that'll just um, that'll seal the deal for me. And I think English King and Kamako, I'm big fans of both of them, but at the prices and, and for those arguments we made earlier, the points we made earlier about those trial runs that he's had, um, he's a Royal Ascot winner and he's coming into this and representing Aidan O'Brien, the, the step up in trip, you should really relish it. So Russian Emperor for me will be the, the best of the weekend. Um, I, I won't be on that Frankie de Toro travel. Um, it's not my sort of bet, but I, I think that bookmakers will be reeling if, if that comes in. Chris, thanks as always for taking some of your time out for a chat on the podcast. Great to hear you as always. And don't forget, uh, Chris's tips are available on horseracing.net every single day. There's loads and loads of Epsom content on site as well. Previews, runner guides. Do head over and check it out. Thanks so much as well to Betfred for kindly sponsoring this uh, podcast. We'll be back um, very, very soon, probably for Glorious Goodwood. But until then, uh, take care, stay safe, and we will speak to you soon.